Uh, we're continuing on in our uh, series in James chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be in verses 13 through 18, just a few moments. Today we're talking about wisdom. Wisdom from God. What does it mean to have wisdom? And, and I want you to think about that in your mind. What does it mean to be wise? When you think of who a wise person is, who comes to your mind? Who is wise? What does it mean to be wise? We're going to answer that in a few moments. But first, we're going to go ahead and read in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness, in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if any but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is shown is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I just thank you for this day that you've given us. I thank you that no matter what we go through, no matter what we face, we can turn to you. And Lord, I thank you for your word that you've given us. That we can come together and we can look at what it says. And God, I pray that you would remove any distraction, any thing that may hold us back and just help us to evaluate ourselves and evaluate our lives by what your word says to us this morning. God, I pray that you'd be with us and that we can be focused on you and that we would be people who would glorify you and would seek to be wise with wisdom from above. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we get into this passage, we're going to look and see at these verses and see what comes through each of them. We're going to start in the first verse, and we're going to see here, really, that wisdom is clear to see. Wisdom is clear to see. Where wisdom is present, if someone is wise, wisdom is clear to see. So James 3.13, Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. So what I want you to understand is this verse is kind of James laying out, this is what I'm saying in this passage. If he was only saying one thing, if we we're only reading one verse today, this has the, the content of the whole passage in it. That if you're wise, by your good conduct, you should show that your works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. So true wisdom is seen through doing good deeds in gentleness, following God, doing good works God's, that, that God prepared for us in gentleness. But as we break this down, as we go through this passage, we need to ask the question, what is wisdom? What do you think about? That's where I asked you this question earlier. What is wisdom? Traditionally, the, the definition would be insight, knowledge, and good judgment. Biblical wisdom, as we see the wisdom in the Bible, often refers to practical skills associated with understanding and living a successful life. But in your life, you've probably always understood that wisdom and knowledge are a little bit different, right? You've probably seen or you've heard ideas or you've heard of maybe somebody that will we'll say, well, that person's book smart. What are you saying there? If they're book smart, they're good at knowing things, but do they always put things into practice the right way? Do they always get it right when they're having to interact with things around them? So wisdom, what I really want us to hone in on, wisdom is applied knowledge. Wisdom is applied knowledge. 
You see, you could, you could go to a friend and you could ask them for advice. You can be going through a very difficult time and you can ask them for advice. And they may tell you good advice. And you know this good advice. You have the knowledge. But if you don't follow it, you're foolish. It's not very wise. If you have the good advice and you take it, this is wisdom. It is knowledge applied to your life. Knowing something and then acting on it. There was a, a time when I was not very wise. Uh, I was four, four years old, and I went with my dad and, and one of his friends to, uh, to the pond that my great-grandmother's farm had on it. She had a bunch of farms. We went out there in the middle of nowhere um, in his Dodge Dakota. I'm in the middle, and I had to be very careful not to move my legs because it was a stick shift. And if I moved them, I'd get in the way, and, and, I w- and it would, you know. So we were going, and we get there, and I'm setting up my chair. I'm ready to go fishing with my dad. I, I feel like I'm a big man, right? set my chair up, and Dad says, you know, don't set your chair there. It's on a slope. You're going to fall in. And I said, no, it's not. I'm, I'm fine. This seems like a good place. I'm really close to the water. I can, get, I can get all the fish. So I sit down, and immediately I am in the water. And I'm crying, and we get back in the Dodge Dakota, and we drive back home. And there was no fishing that day. Why? Because I didn't heed advice, right? And the Bible talks about that. Heeding advice is an, an example of wisdom, Right? If someone has knowledge and, we don't, and they don't take it, we would look at that person, man, that's foolish, right? There's a hurricane warning. They're saying evacuate. You need to get out. Evacuate. It's foolish to stay. You need to be wise to take the knowledge you have and to apply it. So that is wisdom. That's how we're operating. Wisdom is applied knowledge. So James asks this question, Who among you is wise and understanding? So what does it mean to, have, to be wise and understanding? What does it mean to be a person who is wise and understanding in this world? Who do you think of? When I, when I said that, who's a wise person? Who did you think of? A lot of times we think of, of wisdom and smart, and usually they, they coexist. And you might think, oh, well, Einstein was a really smart guy, or scientists, or people who invent things, right? People hold up people like Steve Jobs who innovate and do things. They see the future kind of ahead of time. They can see and conceptualize something and go and act upon it, right? Could you ever have imagined... 30 years ago, having all knowledge pretty much available in your pocket at any time. But someone did, and they saw it, and they went there. Is that that wisdom? It's intelligence for sure, but is it wisdom? What is the standard of being wise? Is it real-life skills? Uh, You've probably heard or known people that maybe they didn't didn't even finish school, but if you bring them a, a vehicle, they can fix it in an instant. They hear the engine running. They know what's wrong with it. Seems pretty wise. Is it test scores? Is it, is it being able to answer all of the questions? Is it both? One thing I think that we need to know is that wisdom is always relative. So what I mean by that, there are times when we will see our children do things and we will be amazed, right? Can you believe it? Eliza wrote her name and then she wrote our names on there. That was so wonderful, so wise. I don't get praised anymore for writing my name correctly. Um, it's not wise. There's no wisdom in that. There's, no, there's nothing exceptional about it. So that's what I mean is that our standard of what wisdom is is relative to what our, our, we're judging it based off of. So there are people who excel in some things that are deficient in others. Someone could be a, a genius when it comes to, to, to math and, and figuring out all these things, but when it comes to doing something uh, in, in constructing a house, they have no idea how to do it, and vice versa. 
How, how is someone judged as being wise? Well, what I think we need to make sure we do understand is not just comparing ourselves to one another to figure out whether we're wise or not. We need to figure out that when we compare ourselves to God, we realize how inadequate our standards of wisdom are. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. So here's what I want you to understand. I haven't put forth a, a standard of, in this world, how someone should be wise, or what means that they're wise. There's some examples, some different ideas. The reason I'm not going to say what it means to be wise among men is that the, the wisest man is foolish compared to God. And that's what we need to understand today, is that no matter how wise you may be, no matter how wise whoever you may look up to may be, or whatever person you've heard of, compared to God... Their thoughts, their wisdom, their ways are so much lower. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says God. The, the, the smartest people, the, the most people we high, hold in high esteem next to the wisdom of God, they're like small children. They don't know anything. So how is wisdom seen? Right? We're, we're summarizing the whole, the whole passage here. Wisdom is seen, is evident through our conduct. If you are really smart, you shouldn't have to tell people, right? That's, that's something you've probably heard that before. If you're really smart, people will, it'll, be, it'll be apparent to people. You think about sports. The, the, the greatest players in any sport, doesn't really matter which one it is, they don't have to make a campaign telling about why they're the greatest player. Why not? It's evident through what they do. And you look at any person and any given thing they do, you don't have to wonder if someone's good at their job. How are you going to know? If the work they do is quality. So how do we know if we're wise? Our wisdom will be evident through our conduct. Good conduct in gentleness. right? His, by his good conduct, he should show his works are done in gentleness that comes from wisdom. Good works done in, done in gentleness shows Wisdom. And this is the summation of the, the, the passage. If we will do good things, if we will follow God's will and we'll be wise and we'll be gentle in doing that, we'll be wise. But as we go deeper into this, into what this passage breaks down, we're going to see two different points, two understandings of wisdom. And the first understanding that we're going to look at is the understanding of wisdom of the world. And the wisdom of the world is evil, is what this passage says. James 3, 14-16. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. This Wednesday night we talked about culture, and we, we got into a lot of things about culture, but we talked about, we started with the distinction between the world and the believer, right? Don't love the world or anything in the world, and there's this, all through the New Testament, we see this separation. In the Old Testament, it's separation of Israel from the world. In the New Testament, it's the church in the world. We are supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of earth, right? Where there's a separation. So today, we're looking at the wisdom of the world, which this passage calls evil, and the wisdom of God. So this is different. This is not what Christians should seek to live like. This is not what a person following God should seek to do. So the first two things it says, if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart. So bitter envy and selfish ambition. Don't, don't boast and deny the truth. What is bitter envy? 
desiring what others have. When you look around you, you look and you see people and you see what they have and you see something that's advertised, you want it. There's a burning, there's, there's a discontentment, there's an unsatisfaction because what you have and the way your life is is not good enough. I want what they have. I want what I know I don't have. I need that for my satisfaction. I need that. What is selfish ambition? A strong drive for personal success without moral inhibitions. A strong drive for personal success without moral inhibitions. Seeing something you want and going after it. Now that's not wrong, right? If you want to accomplish a goal, it's not wrong to want to accomplish a goal. But it's wrong to want to accomplish a goal at any, at any cost. To lay all morals, to lay all godliness aside to pursue this ambition, this selfish ambition, not worrying about what happens to other people, not worrying about how your decisions affect other people, selfish ambition. Now here is the truth of this, and the truth of what the world tells you. There's always a little bit of a truth to the greater lie. Bitter envy and selfish ambition can lead to success in this life. In this life, if you want to be successful, if you want to be rich, if you want to be wealthy, if you want to be uh, to, to amass a great empire here for yourself, bitter envy and selfish ambition can lead to that success. And it could be stated that a lot of times throughout history, you look and the people that were most successful in this life had the greatest kingdoms, the greatest empires, were probably the most envious and the most selfishly ambitious. This is the fuel that drives the American dream. And when I say the American dream, I want to, I want to kind of do a little bit of a, a caveat here. I think it's wonderful that we live in a place where anybody can work hard and become something. But there's also a lie that gets sold to us that, it, that you can and should have everything you want. Because you can here have just about anything you want. But if you pursue that, there's going to be envy. Well, I want this. I want that. There's going to be selfish ambition. Well, if I want to get there, I've got to do these things. So this drives the, the sinful aspect of the American dream. Your neighbor has something you want? Good. Let it fuel you. Let it, that drive, that desire burn within you and drive you to be better, to get the things you want. Work hard, do more, so you can have everything you ever wanted. Let envy drive you, is what the world would say. It's hard to get what you want. Bend the rules. Well, don't break them or at least don't get caught. Who cares if you hurt others? It will get you where you want to go, right? Some people have this idea that, you know what? Someone's going to burn me, so I'm going to burn them first. How many stories have you heard? It doesn't take very long. A lot of big companies that exist now, if you listen to the, the ways those companies started, there's a lot of bitter envy and selfish ambition where two founding partners, one of them's not there anymore. They got cut out of the deal. They got cut out because one person wanted all the power, all the authority. Many of the greatest businessmen or conquerors or emperors fill in the blank in this world have been ruthless there's no regard for others only on their goals. And see, the world will look at those people and, and, and it can almost hold them up as wise because they've accomplished something, right? If you have great wealth, if you have great power, you've accomplished something. And so if that's your goal, to you, that person would be wise, regardless of how they got there. If your goal is to, to be great in this world, someone that's done that would be the example of wisdom, even if they've done it through selfish ambition and envy. But what does this passage say? It says, Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, 
unspiritual and demonic. You might accomplish something. You might gain what you're looking after, but you're missing the bigger picture. It's a house of cards. It's a facade that on the inside, there's death. So what is the opposite of this attitude? The opposite attitude of bitter envy and selfish ambition is contentment. In 1 Timothy 6, 6-10, I don't think it's an accident that it really goes along with this passage, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In this passage, we see the, the attitude of bitter envy and selfish ambition. Those who desire to be rich. Right? Being wealthy in and of itself is not a sin. If you work hard, you, you have a good, a good life, you, you get a good job, and you get some money doing it, that's, that's not sinful. But desiring... I see the wealth they have. I want that. Those who desire it lead themselves into temptation. They're desiring what they don't have. It plunges them into ruin and destruction. And their selfish ambition caused them to wander from the faith. The wisdom that strives for worldly gain is not really wisdom at all. It is deception. Mark 8.36 What does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? Remember, we talked about this before. Godly wisdom, worldly wisdom. We're talking about worldly wisdom that says you should pursue anything and everything you want at the cost of anything and everything. The wisdom the world offers is not what we should strive for as Christians. 1 Corinthians 3, 18-20 Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasoning of the wise are futile. It matters very little if we're wise in this world. If we have it all figured out, we got a good system down, it doesn't matter. At the end of this life, those things fade away. We, can't, we brought nothing into this world, we can take nothing out of it. All of those things were, were almost as a mirage. It's, it's passing away. And so for a time, you appeared wise to people. You may, you may build up a life. You've got a good life going on. You've got everything good. Everything's good in your life. You've got the perfect American dream. You've got the, the perfect house, the perfect cars, 2.5 kids, and a dog or a cat, depending on what you like. But at the, at the root of that, those people could be empty, living for something that's fading away. So where is the wisdom in that? Where's the wisdom in pursuing these things? In fact, the Bible is clear that the wisdom of the world really isn't wisdom at all. Psalm 14.1 says this, The fool says in his heart, there's no God. They are corrupt. They do vile deed, deeds. There is no one who does good. Some of the smartest or the wisest people by today's standards will look at people and proclaim, there is no God. They'll say, you are a fool if you believe there's a God. There's so much evidence, they'll say, that there's no God. How could you believe there is a God? The Bible says that person is a fool. 
While the world may look to them and say, wow, look how wise they are. They understand all these deep things. They understand all these complexities. In reality, they miss the most important thing. Because in their heart, they say there is no God. Their wisdom will be shown to be foolishness in the end. So what does it look like to be truly wise? What does it look like to be truly wise? Wisdom from God is pure. Wisdom from God is pure. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. True wisdom comes from God. comes from knowing God, having a relationship with God, and, and walking in this relationship. This wisdom that is from above. So we're going to look and, what, and we're going to examine what are the attributes of godly wisdom. And, and the list that verse 16 gives us here, it reminds me a lot of the list of, of, in 1 Corinthians 13 when Paul describes what love is. Right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Right? That list says, this is, this is what it reminds me of here in, in verse 16. For where there is in... It's not verse 16. Uh, verse 17. When the, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving gentle, compliant, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. So we see first that it's pure. Wisdom is pure. Free from blemish or spot. So if you're going to seek after God, if you want to be wise in the eyes of God, if you want to have godly wisdom, you must seek to purify yourself, to live a life that is righteous. Now the good news is that if you are a sinner here, which we are all sinners, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The purification of us, the, the purification for sins, the, the salvation has been made through what Jesus has done on the cross. So we have been made new because of what Christ has done. But if we have been made new, we must walk in this newness of life. So if we want to be wise, we've got to put all, uh, and we see this all throughout new the New Testament, is that put away the things of the flesh. Put away these things that you once walked in. Walk in the new life. So we must be pure, not to earn our salvation, not to keep our salvation, because if we want to walk as though God calls us to walk, if we want to be obedient, if we want to be wise like God, if we want to have the wisdom of God, we must be pure. We must seek to be righteous in how we live our life. Peace-loving. The next thing we see is peace-loving. We must seek peace over animosity. Right? There's this whole... Uh, and it parallels so beautifully with 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not insist on its own way. Right? Peace-loving. Seeking peace over animosity. Anger and selfish ambition is going to lead to quarrels. It's going to lead to division and frustration. But what, what do we want to do if we follow God? Seek peace in our interactions with others. And gentle. Wisdom is gentle. The way that we handle ourselves when dealing with others should be gentle, not abrasive, not harsh, not speaking down upon others as though we know better than them. Even if we feel we have a right to, we're gentle as though we're instructing a child. We're gentle as we walk in wisdom. Compliant. What does it mean to be compliant? And again, not insisting on its own way, working with others. When we have wisdom, beating people across the head with that is not very wise. It makes us feel good. It's, it's an example of pride, showing what we know, showing all these things, insisting on this. I think compli being compliant is also the example of being willing to listen to advice. If you're unwilling to listen to advice, you're not 
being very compliant. And the Bible is very clear that, that the fool is the one that puts off advice, and the, and the wise one is the one who listens to good counsel. Full of mercy and good fruits. If we are wise, we should have the evidence of salvation in our lives. Mercy, because we've been given mercy. Show mercy as you've been shown mercy. Good fruits, the evidence, the good works that God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Unwavering. If we're wise, if we're wanting to have the wisdom of God, we can't waver, we can't be tossed around, going back and forth, but we must be confident, steadfast in what God has called us to do. God is a, is a rock, He's a mighty fortress that we can take comfort in in times of trouble. If we are wise, we will be unwavering in our commitment to Him. Without pretense, genuine and true if you are wise, if you have godly wisdom, you don't have to be underhanded. You don't have to try to have a bait and switch. You are wise. You, you, you have no pretense. Genuine, true, just being who you are in Christ. You don't have to puff up and prove yourself. But you follow Christ. There's a passage here that, that shows the, the truth of what it means to be wise and in, in, to have godly wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached." For the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. We could spend a lot of time with that passage, but it sums up what we're talking about here. The wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. The main point of this passage fits very well. Following God does not always make sense to the world or based upon the world's metrics, but wisdom comes from God. Wisdom comes from the cross. We talked about before how, all wisdom, how wisdom is subjective. The highest achievement that we can attain is reconciliation with God. And so if we're talking about people who are playing in this world and playing in what they know in this life, their greatest achievement is to feel like they know how the world works, how the universe works, that they may claim there is no God. And from their own understanding, from within their own minds, that's the highest achievement they can come to. But when we realize that God is true, God is real, God exists and God loves us, there's a whole nother, when we understand that God's ways are higher than our ways, there's a, another level of wisdom that, that is so far beyond us. And we realize that the, the wisdom of the world is meaningless. It's destroyed. The wisdom of the wise has been made foolishness. And this wisdom that we have comes through the cross. People who are wise in this world will look at faith in, in Christ, though, as though we are fools, right? It talks about in this passage... It says that, that the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. How does it make sense that, that God would, would save us through something like that? Right? Why is it a stumbling block to the Jews? Because it was a torture instrument. 
In the Old Testament, it said, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. It's a stumbling block. It doesn't make sense. Why would he die on a cross? And it's foolishness. That doesn't make any sense. If you logically think through it, how does Jesus dying on a cross, how does that accomplish our salvation? If, if you're thinking through it through worldly perspectives, they don't get it. But the wisdom of this world is meaningless. People can be adamantly wrong. Have you ever encountered that before? Someone is confident that they're right, but they are so terribly wrong. They can be very confident in their error. And in their understanding, in their frame of view, their perspective, if there is no God, as they claim, they're right. But they're missing the bigger picture. It becomes clear later that they're wrong. So an example of this I was talking about when I was four before. Another time, close to that age, my friend Caleb and I were in a, in a little bit of an argument. Um, and I think he still argues with me to this day over which one of us was in the wrong, whether I was saying that I was older. Caleb decided that he was older than I was because he was born in January and I was born in July. Well, that makes sense, right? If we were born in the same year. But we weren't. I was born in July of the year before him. So I was older than him. But he was so confident that because he was born in January, and January comes before July, that he was right. And so when we look at people in this world, and, and they're arguing about their, 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 there is no God, there is no, and even if there is a God, you can't know God. They miss it. They're missing the bigger picture. Their understanding is, is darkened. They are walking in darkness. Because it doesn't make sense if we think about it. It goes against our conventional understanding, right? If we were going to be saved, because we can all acknowledge, even every person can acknowledge their sin. There's not a person you'll meet that will claim that they're perfect. And if they are, they're very deluded. But how would you think that you need to atone for your sin, right? Work hard. Do more. Follow the rules. Pay it off. If there's a debt that you've earned, you've got to pay it off. What does Jesus say? What does God say? Because of what Jesus did, your debts are paid. Not what you did, but believe. And because of grace through faith, you have salvation because of what Jesus has done. This goes against conventional understanding. We would think we have to earn salvation, but God gives it freely. But that is how God works, doing things only He can, and in doing so, making it clear that He is God. So as we close today, I want us to remember the last verse. These verses are a reminder of how to be wise in these days. James 3.18 And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. If we want to be wise, if we want to be people who are wise, walking in the wisdom of God, we should be people who are living lives that are evident with the fruit of righteousness. Our salvation should be apparent to everyone. You know, I told you earlier, you shouldn't have to tell someone if you're smart. You shouldn't have to tell someone if you're good at some certain thing. Your, your work should show it, right? If you, if you build a home, you don't have to brag on yourself. If your home is, is, is quality, it will, it will show itself through how good quality your workmanship is. If you, if you are uh, good at a sport, you don't have to brag about it. The way you play will show it. If we want to be wise, if we want to be Christians, we shouldn't have to tell people 
hopefully, that we're Christians. If you go and you tell someone you've interacted with for a long time that you're a Christian and it shocks them, that's a problem. You're not walking very wisely. You don't have a lot of wisdom, a godly wisdom in the way you live your life because the fruit of righteousness sown in peace is, is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. And this is summing up this whole idea of, of, of wisdom being gentle in how we live. Gentle in doing good works. So the fruit of righteousness is the good works sown in peace by those who cultivate peace and the gentleness. So this means that we will be actively working together to be people of peace. Promoting peace in the way we live our lives. Not causing animosity, not causing anger and frustration. And it reminds me of a verse from the very first passage we looked at. James 1.20 For the human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Are you walking in anger? You're not walking very wisely. Anger causes dissension and fights and quarrels. If we want to be wise, if we will seek to be righteous, and if we want to be righteous, we will, we will cultivate peace. It is wise to cultivate peace. To live as people who are seeking to be peaceful, sharing the gospel, living out what we have believed. It should be evident in our lives. We shouldn't have to tell people, I have godly wisdom. It should be evident to all who see. So where are you today? Are you seeking to be wise in the world's eyes? Or are you buying into what worldly wisdom is? Are the pursuits of your life dedicated to things that the world says they should be dedicated to? Are you operating in the, the ways the world says to operate? Are you seeking to be wise in your own understanding? Are you seeking to live up your own standard of wisdom? Or are you seeking the wisdom of God? Does your standard look like His? Pure, peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense? Or have you set your own standard? And most importantly today, the question I ask you, have you seen the wisdom of following Christ? The wisdom of God is known first and foremost through believing in the cross of Christ. Believing what Jesus has done. Understanding yourself to be a sinner. Understanding that only through what Jesus has done can you be made right with God. Only through what Jesus has done can you be saved. And the first step into wisdom this morning, if you have not done that yet, is to say, I'm a sinner and I want to surrender my life to God. To follow Him. I know that what I've tried to do, what I've tried to understand has not worked, and I want to believe in what Jesus has done and follow Him with my life. That is the first step into wisdom. Wherever you may be this morning, as we have this time of invitation, I want to challenge you, to, to, and I want to invite you to figure out what does it look like for you to live in godly wisdom in your life? How can that apply to where you are today? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I want to thank You for this day that You've given us, this time that we can just look at Your Word. God, I pray that You would help us to seek to be people who are wise. Because godly wisdom is not determined by our ability or who we are. It's determined on our, our desire to follow You. God, I pray that You would increase that desire within each of us. And Lord, if there's any who do not know You this morning, I pray that today would be the day they would come to salvation. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand?